is an Odyssey original. This is a special edition of KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. And I'm Charles Feldman. The Supreme Court, with a historic ruling today overturning the landmark decision Roe v. Wade, and with it nearly 50 years of a constitutional protection for abortion access. Now it is up to the states to decide, and nearly half are on track to either outright ban abortion or severely limit the procedure. We'll go in-depth with a panel of experts to start and also end today's show as we discuss the future of women's rights and reproductive rights in America. The so-called pro-choice side, obviously unhappy protesters outside the Supreme Court building holding demonstrations elsewhere. The so-called pro-life side celebrating today as a major win. So what happens now? Here in California, the state's taking action on legislation to protect patients and providers against abortion bans in other states. And what are the ramifications come the midterm elections? Will this loss today on the pro-choice side lead to wins in November for pro-choice candidates? We will go in-depth on all of it. We start with our panel of guests to discuss what now. First, we have uh, Cynthia Sanchez, who's clinical professor of nursing at USC. She's an expert on women's health, working and uh, underserved populations, focusing on health equality, equity, and health promotion. We also have with us Mary Rose Short, Director of Outreach for California Right to Life. And we have constitutional law professor Jonathan Enton from Case Western Reserve University in Ohio. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for taking part in this program. Uh, The one ground rule that we have for the show, no long speeches, Let's have a a civil and adult conversation among all of us about a very profound decision today from the U.S. Supreme Court. And I presume uh, I hear no uh, nays, so that's a yay from everyone. (laughs) Without, uh, with consent or whatever they say on Congress, yes. So that is our ruling. We'll go ahead with that. Okay, I'm going to actually start with uh, Mary Rose Short. Uh, As I said, you are Director of Outreach for California Right to Life. Your view today is what? Um, it's a great step forward, um, but it's not the end of end of the fight. Um, we see this as a correction of an error that has led to the, the loss of millions of children's lives in the United States. So, of course, that's something to celebrate. But we can't forget that for for fifty years, um, we have been living with this idea that the Constitution denies. Um, some people the right to life and prohibits even those states that would like to protect unborn children prohibits them from doing so. Mary Rose, I think we're having some some feedback or some crackling on your microphone. If you've got it there, if it's a headset or something, just kind of hold on to it and we'll come back to you in just a second. Let's go to Jonathan here. Jonathan, uh, the roadmap, and we've seen the maps literally go up in the graphics on TV showing all these different states and what's going to happen. It's what, nearly half that are now, since it's been tossed back to the states, this issue, that are either going to have outright bans or some severe restrictions. That's right. Um, I've seen numbers as high as 26 states that would put either virtually complete bans on abortion or very, very uh, stringent restrictions. Um, We also have states like California that seem to be moving in the other direction, uh, trying to legislate uh, state law protections. Cynthia Sanchez, uh, you are a clinical professor of nursing over at USC. Uh, Tell us from a medical point of view, 
how this is going to, in your view, impact women, uh, not just here in California, but all across the U.S.? Well, in the states that are are putting these restrictions on abortions, they're not um, getting rid of the need for abortion. So if women don't have access to adequate family planning services, unwanted pregnancies are going to be the result. And what's going to, what I feel, in my opinion, is going to happen is that it's going to impact the women of low resources the worst because they're not going to be able to afford to be able to go out of state and obtain the procedure they need, or they're going to have to save up for that procedure. And time is not on your side when you're facing an unwanted pregnancy. The earlier, the better. And so what would be a simple first trimester uh, procedure is now going to be a much later trimester. So this, this change has actually made things worse because it's going to increase, I feel, the increase the number of, of um, at more advanced pregnancies, women seeking, uh, being able to afford to be able to leave for their abortion at a more advanced state where it could have been taken care of very easily, very easily, a lot, a lot with a lot less uh, risk um, earlier. Mary Rose, back to you. Uh, you said uh, in passing that this was the beginning of uh, this ruling. What do you mean by that? Um, by the beginning, I meant that Roe v. Wade was a giant barrier that prohibited states from giving protection to unborn children. States were not allowed to do so. Now, they can. Some states already have those measures in place. Others do not. So for the pro-life movement, going forward, we will now begin to be able to actually give equal protection under the law to unborn children. But with, in states like California, there's, we're, we're starting a lot farther back from that, given that the California legislature and our governor prioritize abortion, um, prior, prioritize delivering a dead child over delivering a live one. Jonathan, I don't want to stray too far from the main issue of abortion, but I have to ask you, based on what Justice Clarence uh, Thomas also wrote as part of his opinion, uh, that perhaps uh, the court ought to explore other areas that had been considered settled law from contraception all the way through uh, gay marriage and and, uh, even sodomy. Well, Justice Thomas picks up actually on something that Justice Alito wrote in the majority opinion, because the reasoning Justice Alito used and that the majority subscribed to does call into question the vitality of some of these other precedents uh, and maybe even precedents beyond those. Now, at this point, Justice Alito says, well, but those are different they're not at issue here. And that might be technically correct, but nothing would prevent the court from revisiting those issues in in other cases where those issues were put on the table. And I think of more immediate relevance, the court's approach and Justice Thomas's explicit encouragement might well encourage officials in some states to try to pass laws that would set up cases that would give the Supreme Court the opportunity to revisit those issues. They all stem from the same place, right? Number one, they're not expressly written anywhere, and they say that. And then number two, it's all the, it's the right to privacy thing. So if you if you say, you know, we're going to do just Roe, but, but don't look at these over here, well, 
the through line is still there. They're still all connected. That's right. And as I said, that doesn't mean that the court would necessarily go as far as Justice Thomas suggests, but that could encourage some folks to try to press forward uh, and give the court the opportunity to do that. There's one other thing about Justice Alito's reasoning uh, that we might want to think about just in the abortion context. I mean, today's decision says that the Constitution does not protect a right to abortion. But there is an argument, and some of the language in in the majority opinion uh, might be consistent with this, suggesting not simply that the Constitution is silent, but rather that the Constitution properly understood actually forbids abortion uh, because Justice Alito emphasizes in history that is controversial and not everybody agrees with, but but the uh, history that Justice Alito relies on says, well, when the 14th Amendment was adopted in 1868, abortion was generally illegal in the United States. And and that might provide the basis for an argument uh, for, in favor, say, of fetal personhood. Uh, we'll have to see how that how that plays out. But it, it would not surprise me to see some folks making this argument. In fact, uh, some uh, noted scholars uh, submitted an amicus brief in today's case that actually made the argument that properly understood the Constitution forbids abortion. Okay, so uh, Mary Rose, I want to ask you, and then we'll get back to Cynthia in a moment, but Mary Rose, is that, um, as a representative of California Right to Life, is that, in your view and in your group's view, the ultimate goal here? Is the ultimate goal to have abortion made illegal from coast to coast and even farther, you know, further than that, that somebody who has an abortion, in effect, would be at, from the point of gestation, a con- a conception onward, would be, in effect, uh, guilty of murder? We would definitely want abortion completely banned from coast to coast. Um, and a recognition of the personhood of every human being from the moment of conception, how states go about prosecuting someone who kills one of those people. I mean, there are different penalties now for for killing a child versus killing a grown person versus killing someone you're related to. There's different, what the state calls the different punishments is different, and that will be up to the people of, of each state, how exactly they want to go about enforcing the recognition that unborn children are people from the moment of conception. And what about states who go after their own people for crossing state lines and getting this procedure done in a state right now that says, yes, you can have this here? Um, I, I think that would be if the state's job is to look after the safety, the government, the government's job is to look after the safety of its citizens. So if they had ways of protecting unborn children from their state, I think that would be a great thing to do. Cynthia, going back to you from a medical point of view, a fair number, in fact, it may even be a a majority, I haven't seen the latest figures of abortions in this country now done by by medical uh, pills, as opposed to an actual surgical procedure. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So how do you think this gets enforced? Because if 
uh, abortion clinics closed down. I just saw something flash on a TV screen that the uh, uh, attorney general of the state of Texas has announced that, you know, abortion is no longer legal in the state of, of Texas. So uh, even if abortion clinics closed down, do you just see women in, in greater numbers just going to pills? And is that the next move, do you think, to have some uh, move to ban the medication itself? Well, uh, if they're banning abortion, that would include the abortion pill. And some states even want to include the morning after pill, which is not the abortion pill. That's a, that's a pill that prevents when a woman has um, an unprotected um, intercourse, let's say she's raped, one of the, the care that she's given after that rape is to give her the morning after pill so that she doesn't have to worry about getting pregnant from that. Um, from that assault. And so uh, the morning, the morning after pill um, doesn't uh, cause an abortion, it prevents a pregnancy and some states even want to go after that. But the abortion pill, I'm assuming would be included in abortion procedures because it, it is a procedure, it causes you to abort a fetus. When bans go into place for the procedure, when severe restrictions are put on it, do abortions actually decrease or do they just get more dangerous? Women are still going to try to have them. Yeah, that's that's exactly the issue. The demand for the the abortion hasn't been relieved. Um, and especially in those states where they are putting those restrictions they also are, a lot of them are restricting family planning services or they don't have um, adequate and accessible family planning services. So if you're not, the, the way to prevent abortion is to prevent the pregnancy in the first place. And that means giving um, people access to high quality and adequate medical care. And when you don't do that, when you don't um, allow women to make those choices, of how they want to prevent a pregnancy, um, unplanned pregnancies are the result. So um, they're still going to happen. And for a lot of women, they're just devastating. Uh, there's a lot of women that aren't, I, I would love to live in a world that doesn't have, doesn't need abortion, but um, there's a lot of women who financially cannot afford another child. There are women that are on medication that, a pregnancy would be horribly, go horribly wrong while they're on that needed medication that they're on and didn't realize it and become pregnant. There's, there are women that are raped. There are a lot of situations where that pregnancy coming to term is not the right choice for that woman. And she's still going to have to do it. So she'd have to either cross straight lines or turn to somebody who may not do the procedure correctly, or they may try and do it themselves. All right. Uh, I want you to stop there because I want to, I want to go back to Mary Rose now, because Mary Rose, you, you heard Cynthia uh, Sanchez ticking off a number of, of points and concerns. Uh, how do you answer that uh, in light of today's ruling? The, the fact, I mean, we have to go back to what is an abortion. Abortion ends the life of a human being. And in the case of, she was talking about medically necessary abortions. Um, if a woman and the, if a woman's life and the life of her child are in conflict, a doctor in a, in a state where abortion is illegal, a doctor will treat both his patients as best he can do what he can for two 
equal patients. And in some cases that will mean the child, the child doesn't make it. That doesn't mean that the woman, women will be, be will be killed. Um, so treat, treating two patients um, is a lot different than saying we're going to execute somebody because it is affecting somebody else's health. Um, that would be one. And I'm just looking right now for the numbers on, on the reasons women have abortions. Um, well over 95% are just for socioeconomic reasons. It's not for health. It's not because the woman um, suffered the trauma of, of rape or assault of any kind. They're just purely elective abortions. Um, and another point I wanted to make was about the safety of abortions. I'm talking about having unsafe abortions. California is actively working right now, AB 2223 in particular, to authorize anyone, literally anyone to perform an abortion anywhere by any means. So a woman can recruit her college roommate, uh, a woman, her pimp could do an abortion. Anyone that she acquiesces would be authorized under AB 2223 to do an abortion. Anyone at all would be legalized to do an abortion. That doesn't sound terribly safe, but that's the direction very pro-abortion states are going is to, to actively work to legalize these so-called back alley abortions. This panel is coming back with us at the end of the show. It's Mary Rose Short there with California Rights to Life, a USC nursing professor Cynthia Sanchez and constitutional law professor Jonathan Enton. You're listening to a special edition of KNX In-Depth, Roe v. Wade, Overturned with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Today's ruling overturning Roe v. Wade will likely have an impact on the upcoming November midterm elections. Democrats can use this to raise money and get out the votes. And we've already seen a couple things along those lines. Uh, plenty of emails have gone out to raise money. And even the president today going out there and saying, you know what, this is on the ballot come November. Yeah, and it's clearly uh, a nation divided. Uh, and, you know, we just had the uh, ruling just the other day uh, from the Supreme Court on uh, gun carrying in public. Uh, half the states roughly think it's a good idea. The other half don't. And now, of course, we have this abortion ruling, the Roe v. Wade uh, overturning. And uh, that has just uh, added a, yet another rift between the so-called red and blue states. We have Long Beach State political science professor Kevin Wollaston with us. Uh, professor, thanks for being here. Is this going to be an energizing factor, do you think? Or we always bring in, you know, what people are dealing with now might still be top of mind. Inflation, gas prices, uh, you can't find baby formula. Does that take precedence over this once we get through a few more months? Well, it's it's a long time till November. <laughs> and uh, certainly it's the case that there are sort of day-to-day issues that way more heavily on people's mind. But that said, however, I think the important dynamic that the uh, Supreme Court ruling uh, today introduces is a kind of shift uh, between Democrats and Republicans about the abortion issue. Historically, it's been the case that Republicans have cared far more about the abortion issue. They were far more willing uh, to contribute money, to show up, to uh, make sure they vote on the basis of this single issue. Uh, Even with the leak, we started to see uh, Democrats begin to care far more about the abortion issue. So this is an issue that can potentially mobilize voters, uh, particularly amongst 
key Democratic constituencies. And here I'm thinking about young people. One of the main challenges of the Biden administration is they failed to win support amongst young voters. Perhaps this is the issue that gets them to the polls in November. Let's bring into this conversation A.B. Stoddard, who's a columnist and editor at Real Clear Politics. A.B., always uh, welcome to the program. Um, Republicans, as you know, they've been laser focused on the abortion issue for the better part of half a century. The Democrats have talked a lot about it, but the Republicans clearly have done a better job in terms of getting their judges on the Supreme Court, getting their judges at the lower levels of the court. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't even think President Biden mentioned abortion in the campaign, did he? This is such a good point. On two fronts, not only have Republican voters, as your other guests said, been focused as sort of single issue uh, activists on, on this issue um, uh, in ways Democrats never have been, but the actual Republican apparatus worked so hard for years to redesign the court. What I did not hear from Joe Biden or the other um, people in the field in 2019 or during the primary contest campaign in 2020 was a focus on the Supreme Court. Um, It's amazing that they're upset now that Trump was able to nominate and confirm three of the nine justices and tilt it into a a super uh, conservative majority, 6-3, but they didn't even, not only did Joe Biden not focus on the issue of abortion, they did not focus on the issue of the court. And so um, this this is an explosive decision. It, we don't, we can't begin to understand the ramifications and consequences of sort of post-Roe America, how it will affect communities, families, everything. But what I can say is that Democrats have not focused with uh, their voters on this issue and the threat to Roe v. Wade or the threat to a supermajority on the conserv- a conservative majority on the court um, to this point. They, they truly dropped the ball. There seems to be, as always, a tendency to let's let's blame Mitch McConnell for for not uh, for, for delaying a nomination during the Obama years and then speeding one up for Amy Coney Barrett. Um, but I guess that's also in the past now. Right. So you got to look ahead. That can't be your one talking point. They stole this from us. Right. It, it, exactly. It's um, the, the, the what they have to do now is say uh, that they're that this needs this House Speaker was correct. This is an issue that needs to be decided at the polls. Um, that this is an issue that now is going to go to the states, uh, and it's going to change America very rapidly and very dramatically if they want to energize their voters on this issue, promising them that they're going to fix it. That oh, you haven't heard the last of it. We're, you know, we're going to keep fighting when they don't have the numbers in Congress or the power to um, codify Roe Ro- Ro v. Wade. Now, um, I think is 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 not the answer. I, I think they have to be very blunt about the fact that uh, this is a this is a, a, a question of power um, and that the Republicans have uh, the power behind them right now. And that if they if, if Democrats want to change this, they're going to have to activate at the state level in red and purple states, and they're going to have to vote in the midterms. And they're going to understand that Mitch McConnell has already said that that he's not going to um, if he's a majority leader and Biden is president in 2024 before the next um, election, uh, he's not going to allow for a confirmation process for a new justice. When asked about 2023 next year, which is not an election year, he also demurred. So 
again, this has to be a frank discussion about what is actually possible and, and not what is sort of, you know, a fighting rallying cry. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer put legislation after the draft opinion was leaked on the Senate floor that was entirely unrealistic uh, and wouldn't um, it was easy for Republicans to to oppose um, and wasn't uh, a bill to codify Roe. All right. Stop there for a second, A.B. Kevin, I want to go back to you. Uh, I'm curious how you would characterize America Today, Uh, it was a very different country, it seems to me, on Monday. We're now at Friday. We are now in a country where uh, it's okay to carry a uh, concealed weapon in public, where uh, the constitutionality of abortion has now been ruled by the Supreme Court to be non-existent. How would you characterize America on Friday of this day? Yeah, I think that's a good and interesting question. I mean, in some sense, I think the Supreme Court has laid bare some of the divisions that we've all been feeling for a while. So in one way, it's kind of a confirmation of the ways in which we are uh, perhaps increasingly uh, one country, two nations, two different groups of people inhabiting the same space, something that is felt, but something that hasn't been made explicit so much uh, through through national level policy making yet. Um, I think there's this other part of what the Supreme Court has decided here, particularly as it relates to these two issues of guns and abortion. Um, Increasingly, the the experience of living in California is uh, foreign, perhaps, to the experience in living in Alabama or or some other place around the country. So uh, we've become, in some ways, uh, more diverse, uh, certainly, as a result of these Supreme Court decisions. And uh, I think that this introduces, I think, for a lot of people, um, the the sort of um, necessity, let's say, of of voting with your feet. Perhaps you 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 need to move. Perhaps you need to relocate your family or look for opportunities elsewhere. If you happen to live in a state that's increasingly, as a result of Supreme Court decisions, allowed to pursue public policy decisions that that are inconsistent with your fundamental values. Long Beach State political science professor Kevin Walston and A.B. Stoddard, columnist and editor at Real Clear Politics. Governor Newsom and the governors of Oregon and Washington banding together to create a West Coast safe haven for abortion access. There's already a plan for a ballot measure in November for voters here to approve a state's constitutional amendments to guarantee abortion access. Lawmakers taking action to protect patients and providers in California against abortion bans in other states. Michelle Goodwin, Chancellor's Professor of Law at UC Irvine, Director of the Center for Biotechnology and Global Health Policy. We were remarking earlier, one of our guests was that, you know, this is just the beginning. And I think this is also just the beginning of states getting into it with each other over this. I mean, we are going to see a lot of lawsuits and legal fights among states that either grant this or don't. That's absolutely right. It's something that we saw centuries ago, actually, when there were free states, that states that allowed black people to live independently and freely among uh, fellow white citizens. And there were states that were quite addicted to free labor and the enslavement of black folks. And these states did battle it out. Um, There were cases that reached the United States Supreme Court as to whether the Fugitive Slave Act was legitimate and could be enforced 
in states that had deemed black people to be free. And I think there's a lot to learn from those pages of history in terms of what will come next. So you are absolutely right in terms of states sorting this out in court. I'm not so sure that Americans are very good at learning from the pages of history, but but okay. (laughs) You are you are right. You know, this is it's it's a fine point that you make. And it's and it's and it's well taken because we've been slow, actually, in the United States to learn from our history, just like this will not stand in the same way that separate but equal laws were ultimately struck down in the same ways that we've come to understand the dignity of people who are gay and trans and that they should not be criminalized for being who they are, this too shall pass, but not before many people are placed in danger, not before many people are harmed. I think one of the most alarming aspects of what we see today is that it's within the backdrop of the United States being the most dangerous place to be pregnant in all of the developed world. And this comes straight out of Mississippi, a place that has long had um, practice in undermining the civil liberties and civil rights of vulnerable groups. So how does this actually, do you think, play out for the uh, individual woman now? And, you know, sort of taking this away from the the sort of the macro discussion and and, and really zeroing in on what is likely to happen to a woman. We have this this concept of a West Coast safe Haven. How does that play out? I'm glad that you asked that question such that we can drill down to what this really means for girls, too, because in many of these states, they provide no provisions or protections if you're a victim of incest or rape. So this means that if you're in a state that bans abortion and you want to be able to terminate your pregnancy, you need to be able to terminate your pregnancy in order to save your life. That means you have to get out of state. This means that you have to be able to afford the gas to do that, afford the train ticket, bus ticket, or have somebody drive you out of state. This means that you have to look up these matters on the internet to try to see um, who might be able to provide services in the nearest state. It doesn't mean anymore that there's a neighboring state that can provide these services. You may have to leave your state for at least a day 48 hours or 72 hours in order to get the procedure done. But it also means many of the women who seek abortions are people who are already mothers. That means you got to find childcare. Who's going to stay with your kids? It also means that many of these women are working and they're not necessarily working in elite jobs, those who will be most hit. It means taking off time from work. So you're already economically vulnerable and you've got to go through all of those different loopholes. Now that's for a woman who might be in her thirties or her forties. Imagine a 10 year old, imagine a 10 year old who's been raped by her father or her stepfather or an uncle who realizes that she's pregnant, doesn't want to become a mother at 11 years old and who would. Now, what does she have to do? How does she get out of state? How does she afford? to get to some place where she will be safe and be able to get the reproductive health care services that she needs. And how does she deal with her identity in a state that would force her, mandate her to become a mother at 11 years old in the United States in 2022? Michelle Goodwin, Chancellor's Professor of Law at UC Irvine. 
This is a special edition of KNX In-Depth. Roe v. Wade overturned along with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. What does the future look like when it comes to reproductive rights for women? Can the courts go even further? Ban contraception. Our panel's back with us. Cynthia Sanchez, clinical professor of nursing at USC, expert on women's health, working with underserved populations, focusing on health equity, health promotion. Mary Rose Short, director of outreach for California Rights to Life and constitutional law professor Jonathan Enton, Case Western Reserve University in Ohio. Thanks to all three of you for coming back. Mary Rose, I want to start with you and pick up where we left off with our our last guest just a few minutes ago. And she presented this scenario. Women of means, they can travel and they'll get abortions. And and this we realize. But what happens to a young girl in a state where this is now outlawed and is nowhere near ready for this? Who's assaulted? Who's raped? Who's pregnant? Who woke up today and could get an abortion and now cannot? Well, first of all, um, any woman who has been raped uh, should have all the support possible. I think everybody can agree on that, that if there is whatever the government can do, they should do whatever private people can do, they should do. Um, But nothing will undo that rape. Um, Having her child killed will not undo the assault. The assault is something she will live with the rest of her life. So in this country, we do not execute rapists. They do not get the death penalty. Why would we give the death penalty to an innocent child whose father committed a horrific crime? So that would be the first thing I would say. And then many of the states that are restricting abortion are also um, passing bills and funding for women who do need help. There are currently thousands of privately funded organizations throughout the country that do offer whatever assistance a woman needs to carry her child to term and beyond. Those are privately funded but then a lot of states are also passing, so Texas is one that I know of, are passing legislation to help help just such a girl as that scenario as you presented. And, and Mary Rose, would it then be your suggestion, what, that that, that child uh, gives birth and then that child be given up to adoption? Because clearly someone who's, say, a, you know, 12 or 13 is not fit to be a mother. Adoption would definitely be an option. I mean, if if she wants to raise her child, we should give her the support to do so. If she wants to place her baby for adoption, there are currently between one and two million families who are qualified to adopt an infant, have completed the process, and are waiting for a child to adopt. Every baby who's placed for adoption has several dozen families who would like to adopt that child. There just there are not enough babies to go around um, for everyone who wants to adopt. They're being aborted instead. Cynthia Sanchez, do you have confidence that there will be families to raise the children, that there will be expansions of the safety net? Because some of these some states, some of these same states that are putting these restrictions on abortion are not great at providing a safety net. No, um, a, a lot of times they'll, they'll say that they do that, but the children are still being raised in, in poverty. Um, putting aside the, the, uh, the rape victims, just let's just look at the health inequities that we have in this country and the social disparities. And when you're talking about somebody who literally cannot afford another child, that can't even afford the child, the children that they have, um, and you're putting another financial barrier on her being able to um, afford a medical procedure, that um, that is just going to force a lot of people into later term abortions or into, you know, taking it into their own hands. Um, especially when you're, you also restrict access to, to family planning services. Uh, to say that they have uh, 
means for these children to grow up is, is just not, it hasn't been borne out because if that were true, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have these millions of children that are living in poverty in the United States. And there are millions of children that are living in poverty in the United States. Jonathan, um, for those people who uh, were against abortion, today's decision is a, is a great day for them, clearly. For those who are in favor of abortion, the fact of the matter is it not that unless we have an alignment of the stars in which state legislatures become predominantly one party, in this case, the Democratic Party, uh, the, both houses of Congress become Democratic, the White House occupant is a Democrat, and the Supreme Court changes in a substantial way the composition of its occupants. We are living in this America that was launched today for probably decades to come, are we not? We are, and it's not just with respect to abortion rights, but that gets us well beyond today's uh, today's case. Um, but at least as long as the Supreme Court has said that abortion is a subject that should not be decided by the courts, but rather by legislatures, what that will mean is that we will have very different rules about abortion depending on what state you're in. Some states will make it very difficult to get an abortion. Uh, other states will make it a little bit easier. But even in the states that that restrict abortion, uh, and to come back to a point that, that was discussed earlier, um, it used to be that most laws that restricted abortion provided exceptions for rape and incest. Um, a lot of the laws that we're now talking about do not have such protections. Um, and that sort of debate will play out in legislatures around the country, regardless of whether the legislature is more permissive about abortion or, or more restrictive. Are we seeing a first here that this court, the Supreme Court, not just the Roberts Court, but but this court has recognized a right and then taken it away because they've said before we were wrong by not recognizing something. Sorry, we'll go back and fix it. But it's always been rights expansion, has it not? In general, I think that's right, although some folks will tell you I'm skeptical about this myself, but I, I think it is it, it is important to, to make this point that uh at some points in the past, the Supreme Court took, for example, a much more robust view of freedom of contract. Uh, they use, the court used that to, to strike down worker protection and consumer protection laws. Uh, the court eventually retreated from those. Um, but some folks will tell you, well, the right to freedom of contract is important. And now the Supreme Court uh, has kind of walked back from that. But I think that the general notion that that the expansion of rights uh, has been more with respect, say, to uh, race and gender and, and things of that sort. And in general, the Supreme Court has not repudiated uh, expansive rights protecting decisions, although there are certainly examples where the court having announced a right uh, then has has interpreted the right more narrowly than perhaps uh, some folks might have hoped it would. 
The chief justice didn't want to go this far, but he still signed on to the opinion from Mississippi, and then it was five to four on the other side. But has he lost control of this court? Is is this his court in name only? Because well, he seemed to be a little more measured or try and keep the measured before, but now that's not the math doesn't work anymore. Well, that's true, but it's also a mistake to say that somehow the chief justice is in charge. I mean, the chief justice presides over discussions and and has a lot of administrative responsibilities. But this is really a uh, uh, a, a group of nine independent actors, uh, and so uh, chief justices have usually not had the kind of control that people uh, have been suggesting. I mean, even, for example, uh, Chief Justice Warren uh, was not the, the, the most influential member of the court during his time presiding. There were other justices who actually were probably more influential. Uh, and I think that's not the only example of that. Um, the Chief Justice sits in the middle in the center seat, um, but there are not very many justices who would would say, uh, "I do what the chief justice wants." Uh, I got here on my own, right. and I think that's been true for pretty much as long as we've had the court. We've talked about uh, the medical aspects of this. Uh, we've talked about the political aspects, uh, the legal aspects. We haven't really talked about the religious aspects of this. Mary Rose, uh, let me throw it to you. How much is your beliefs, how much are they based on your own, if you are, uh, religion and religious beliefs? Well, the fact that every abortion ends the life of a unique, whole individual human being um, is completely based in biology. Um, I would say, though, the fact that I care about injustice does stem from my religious beliefs. The fact that I believe injustice is wrong, the moral, that it is immoral to take the life of an individual, unique, whole human being, that would come from my religion. But the fact that it does is purely scientific. Okay, but do you see this in any way, shape, or form, then, as uh, imposing your religious beliefs, which, of course, you're entitled to, to others who might not share those beliefs? Not at all. Um, Just as other laws restrict what... Most laws restrict what people can and can't do in order to protect those around them. And this law, or not this law, but this allowing states to pass laws that protect unborn children is just allowing them to pass to protect their citizens. It, it doesn't inflict um, or impose religion on anybody. It just recognizes basic biology and allows states to act on it. When the polling, though, shows that most people do support abortion access, they would want it rare but accessible. The counterpoint to what you're saying becomes okay, there is still, you can't, you can't sever that link. There's still a religious minority opposing their will on everybody else when, when the numbers show that, no, they're not on this side. Well, but the majority with this, I mean, ideally, yes, a personhood would be represented or uh, recognized to be in the Constitution and abortion would be prohibited across the United States. But that is not what this decision is doing. This decision simply allows whatever the majority is in a particular state to choose whether or not they would like to restrict or ban abortion. So whether or not they're religious, 
whoever votes gets to decide in individual states from here on out how much they want to restrict abortion. Mary Rose Shorts with uh, California Rights to Life, also joined by Jonathan Enton, constitutional law professor, and we had USC nursing professor Cynthia Sanchez with us for our panel discussion here on KNX In-Depth. Roe v. Wade overturned today.